to the Flow Podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to have Dean Lewis of Backpack BJJ and Pulling Guard Dean. Dean, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How about you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, Dean, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself first? All right. Um, well, I've been training for like four years. Um, I'm from the Philadelphia area originally. I moved to Pittsburgh for college. And um, now that I'm here, I'm just kind of balancing between being a full-time student and a uh, you know, doing jiu-jitsu as often as I can. <laughs> and um, so I just recently competed in, like, Nogi Pan Ams, and I, I, I want to continue doing, like, bigger competitions like that. So cool. that's pretty much all I got going for me at school and jiu-jitsu right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's interesting you talked about. You just talked about school. It seems like a lot of people, especially Americans, that jiu-jitsu, they kind of, like, that's what they do. They, they manage, you know, school. And jiu-jitsu, most of them are either, like, in college, and that's what allows them to train a lot. Um, yeah, definitely. For you, what's, how how is it, like, managing, you know, both, and what's it like exactly? Um, it's, like, it's off and on, because, like, if you, if you run into a big problem in school or something like that, you know, then it, like, it really takes effect on your training. And, um, you know, recently I was, like, switching majors around and stuff. You know, originally I wanted to do, I wanted to do sciences and engineering, and um, I realized that, like, writing was – was the thing I wanted to do. So, it, yeah, it just kind of, like, threw a wrench in everything, and, you know, my training took a hit for a while. But I think, you know, if you get everything straightened out and you get, like, in a good mindset, it, it, you'll be fine. You know, you can you can manage it as long as you manage your time. But, you know, you got to make concessions everywhere. Like, your social life's not going to be as, <laughs> yeah. as great, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, I think the hardest thing is managing, especially if you're in college, is, Money is already hard as it is, but yeah. jiu-jitsu is not a cheap sport. Like jiu-jitsu is really expensive, you know. I saw a I saw a sixty dollar Fuji gi on a BJJ HQ yesterday. I hopped right on that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, no, it's like super expensive traveling. Like especially people, you said you want to do more competitions. I mean, yeah. traveling to Cal for me because I live in Florida. Traveling to California is like so expensive. Definitely, yeah. Paying for the tournaments. And then, so, I mean, I think for me, that's the hardest part about being a college student and who does jiu-jitsu is the money part. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. That's that's a big thing. No, no private lessons for us and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, you mentioned uh, that you switched your major to um, to writing. or Yeah. Uh, so why did you decide to do that? And talk a little bit about your blog, I mean, that you, that you started yeah. Um, I honestly, I just I, I switched to writing just because I've always been interested in writing and I've always been good at it. Um, whereas like I've been interested in other things like like physics for a while was something I was interested in, but it's not as like it's not as like concrete of an interest as writing was for me. I don't know. I really found something about being able to communicate that I that I really liked. So um, that's another reason why I started my blog is is because like I get to write about another thing that I really love. You know, my passion is jujitsu. So um, I just started it not that long ago actually. So it's just kind of get, getting going. But I just do uh, you know write up some like issues. Um, one of them was reaping. I just did like knee reaping. Yeah. Um, that that seems to be a big issue in jujitsu right now. It's kind of something I ran into a lot. So uh, yeah, I just kind of. Just kind of write whatever, whatever's on my mind. You know, it's nothing really in particular. But I'm hoping it will develop a little bit more in the future. I read your article um, about reaping. I thought it was interesting. Um, 
Now, for me personally, I think that I think that the rule is stupid, but yeah. <laughs> I think the reason maybe that people think that it's legal. Okay, I have to rephrase this. The thinking behind it is stupid. I understand why it's why it's illegal, and I actually think that in the gi, it's really difficult to like escape. Like I don't know, for example, like you know, if you're reaping the leg, you're probably going for a leg lock. Yeah, it's really difficult to escape a leg lock when someone reaps your leg, in my opinion, because the gi, the friction, it's hard to get out. But I think that what like what you pointed out in your article, the um, the rule kind of promote promotes ignorance, right? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, you know, I even talk to like some some high ranking people, like you know, purple belts and above, that just like don't know what reaping is. You know, and it's just like, uh, you know, we learn like when that foot crosses over the hip, like oh, that's bad. You know, and it's it's not really always bad. You know, you're not always reaping the knee. You're not always applying pressure to the knee. So it's like it, it should be a little bit more lenient so that we don't have like DQs over people using one leg X guard, for for example. You know. Yeah. That's my, that's my opinion on it, but I I definitely agree. Yeah. So do you think that it reaping should be legal in gi and no gi tournaments? I think I think definitely no gi it should be legal. Um, gi maybe they should just like sort of mend the the rule the way it is now. You know maybe they should sort of make it a little bit different. You know give a little bit more leniency on. On guys that are uh, another another big thing that happened at Europeans was guys were doing the the De La Hiva, um, the underhook from the De La Hiva guard. Yeah, and that was getting everybody disqualified in the Europeans, and and that's just kind of like a ridiculous rule to me. You know, we should we should be able to discern whenever somebody's reaping the knee and when they're not. You know, when they're actually applying pressure and when they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Not, I'm not sure exactly how they would go about it to you know, but I'm sure they I'm sure they could figure something out. Yeah. So do you think the heel hooks should be allowed though in gi? Um I've I've heard like maybe in maybe in like high level. Yeah. I think like maybe black belt, like, you know, they could do it in the gi. I think definitely in no gi it should be allowed. Yeah. Um, but even I w I wouldn't mind seeing it in gi at the high level because I think those guys are just intelligent enough to understand, you know, how to escape and how, you know, when there's danger. Mm. Um, one thing I always, I talk to people that, um, like I've talked to my instructor and stuff, is that I, I personally think that knee bars should be allowed at Blue Belt. I think it should be yeah. foot locks and knee bars at Blue Belt, and then if you want, you can make toe holds legal at Purple, mm-hmm. and, um, and then at Black, you should be able to do everything. Yeah, I I was really surprised that um, I recently learned that toe holds are illegal at purple belt. You know, I was like kind of surprised by that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think that I, to be honest, I'm not even sure what the thinking is behind it. I think that um, they just I don't know. I like like you like you. That was my favorite part of your article. I just think that doing the rules like that, all it does is. Unless, I guess it's supposed to protect the fighters, but all it really does is promote promote more ignorance about the position. Yeah, exactly. You know, I see a lot of guys in the gym. You know, it, it reflects upon people in the gym, where you see guys getting injured because of toe holds and you know things like that when they're when they're purple belts. It's like you know we we don't learn anything about it in the gym because it's not stressed in tournaments. So, yeah. uh, you know, a brown belt that's just learning how to do toe holds. You know, you're kind of like being ignorant of an entire position and like an entire attack so mm. i don't think it's i don't think it's good yeah 
Well, you know, I, I think um, I think I don't want to misquote him, but I think it was Ryan Hall who said that um, leg locks don't hurt people; stupid people hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like it's just like any other submission. You know, you, you have to be sensitive to the position, and it's people being stupid about it. That's when they get hurt when they don't tap. It's not like this magical position that just completely, you know, obliterates someone's knee right away. Yeah, totally. I mean, wrist locks are legal, and I think a wrist would break, you know, a broken wrist is a lot different than, a, than like, a torn ACL or something like that. But, I mean, wrist locks can go in really fast and really do a lot of damage. Yeah. But it's still legal at blue belt, you know? Yeah. I, to be honest, I think that it it almost stems back to, um, uh, I think back in the days, leg locks were considered cheap, you know? Um, I know that... Back in the day, like the Lucha Libre guys, they would do leg locks, and, you know, the the guys that came from maybe the Gracie lineage, you know, they didn't really do leg locks, and they didn't really consider it, you know, like a, I don't even know, like a a correct move. Yeah. I think that it all kind of stems from that, where leg locks have always been somewhat taboo. Yeah, there's, there's like a stigma against them. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, okay, so another article that you wrote, that I thought was interesting was the one where you were talking about sport sport jiu-jitsu versus, like, the art itself. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Um, so, like, I was just kind of – that was sort of an experimental article for me. Um, I was just trying to, like, show how there's more to jiu-jitsu than just the sport because, like, we see a lot of guys that are training for entertainment, you know, or for, like, losing weight or something like that. And, um, you know, I kind of have a problem with calling it a sport because, like, it's supposed to be, I don't know, it's supposed to be based off of, like, actual self-defense, you know, and I, I don't want to go too far into that realm. Like, I think there should be rules to an extent, but um, there's always, like, a different aspect to, to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu other than just the sportive aspect, you know. I, I like I like seeing the different um, types of tournaments that come out, like there's submission-only tournaments, and we have a combination of those and, and like, point tournaments and stuff, and I... Um, I think it really reflects on the different aspects of the of the martial art in a whole. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what I was trying to get to mm-hmm. there. Do you think that, um, and I think a lot of people get confused with this, but do you think that these two are mutually exclusive or should they be intertwined? And what I mean by that is, like, you know, you see a lot of people, like traditional jiu-jitsu guys say, like, you know, maybe... Um, I don't know about complain, but maybe look down upon the way sport jiu-jitsu has evolved. Do you yeah. think that it's like um, the art itself is mutually exclusive from sport jiu-jitsu, or is there something to be said for, you know, keeping it more simple and traditional like the way they originally had intended it to be? I don't I don't think they're exclusive. Um, I think that a lot carries over between them. You know, I, I mean, people were talking about, like, Ryan Hall and how, you know, they didn't think his – they don't think his game will transfer over very well to like MMA, for instance. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see how he does because he has, actually has a debut fight coming up. So, yeah. but you know, then when that self defense came video came out, we saw him taking things very um, traditionally, I guess you could say, and you know, <laughs> just control. I know the guy doesn't train or anything like that, but you know, it's it's an example of how he was still, he's still effective in, like, a self-defense situation, you know, it's not like he's a, uh, he's a complete joke when it comes to that, so I, I wouldn't say they're exclusive. Yeah. Using Ryan Hall as an example, I know that's only one, only one event, but. Yeah. Well, I think a good example is 
the recent tournament, right, with Huron Gracie and Andre Gaval at Metamorris. Yeah, totally. Um, what do you think about that fight? Um, with Andre Gaval and Hiron Gracie? Yeah. Um, Hiron surprised me. I thought his I thought his guard replacement was really good. Um, honestly, I would have to. I would probably have to watch the fight over again to, to be honest. Um, it wasn't really one of the ones that was standing out to me, but yeah, um, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Um, like, Iron definitely. I, I thought honestly, like my opinion beforehand was that Andre Gabal was going to totally crush him. Yeah, um, I thought, a lot of people thought that. Yeah, totally. A lot of people felt the same way, but um, I was definitely proven wrong. Obviously, so. <laughs> Well, what do you think about the way he approached the fight in terms of letting Andre pass and pretty much trying to prove a point that he couldn't be submitted? I think, like, you know, proving the point that he can't be submitted, like, you know, that he couldn't be submitted by Andre Galbao, like, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure if I would want to, like, approach a fight that way, but I did like the way that he didn't – he uh, he let himself get swept and, like, get his guard pass and everything like that. And um, I think that's kind of a that's, – that's, that's a great thing about submission-only tournaments is that you can let that happen. Like, you might get swept, but you're not swept into a bad position, for example. Yes. You know, and I, I think that that's the beauty of such a tournament like that. Hmm. Um, you know, me personally, um, like, I agree with what you said. Like, that's the beauty of it. You know, there's no – you know, um, positions only matter to an extent. You know, there's no point yeah. – um, my opinion, I thought it wasn't the right platform to do to prove the point he was trying to prove. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, I think I do. Like I feel like I feel like he went out there to prove a point rather than to actually win the match. Yeah, and yeah, I, I agree. And I felt like that wasn't the right time or place to do that. Um, and I felt like he kind of he kind of used Andre Gavalv as a he, he he used them to make a point. And I felt like it was kind of disrespectful to what all the other guys were doing in the tournament because he basically, in my opinion, he was kind of discrediting everything that they had done by saying, I don't know if you um, saw or heard what he said in in the press conference, but he basically said that the Federation medals mean nothing. And I just thought it was real disrespectful to do that with all the world champions sitting right next to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't actually hear that. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, I don't. I I don't agree with that. Like, they absolutely do mean something. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like those guys worked very hard to get to that point, and you know they're they're competing against against very high level people. Um, and we still see submissions in in federation tournaments, so it's kind of ridiculous to say that. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think that it goes back to the traditional versus sport aspect and how. Maybe the more traditional side looks down upon the way the sport has, you know, evolved in terms of the the specialization of guards and, you know, the the advantages and points. I think that that's where it all came from. I felt like he he just, he had like this resentment towards, you know, Andre Gavalv in terms of what he has done in Jiu-Jitsu rather than, I don't know, just actually going out there and trying to win the match. Like, that was, if, if he wanted to do that, then he should have, made a, a no time limit match and said, try to submit me. But instead, he was like, 20 minutes submission only. So he had he had Andre Galvalve enter the match under the pretense that it was, a, it was a fight rather than an exhibition for who can submit here on Gracie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought it was messed up, but I can go on about that forever. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, 
I think, like, in a way, both sides are, you know, we have, like, examples of both sides of the sport and art argument, and I think they're both kind of wrong because, like I said, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. You have, like, art guys that think, you know, that that the sport doesn't matter and that, like, the way these guys train is wrong, and, you know, then you have, like, people that train for sport that think that all the traditional guys are wrong, and I just think there, there should be some kind of happy middle ground, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, kind of bridging off of that and talking about, like, the Federation tournaments, um, in your opinion, like, what do you think the Federation could do to improve the way tournaments are ran in regards to maybe, like, refereeing, um, testing, or pretty much anything, like the logistics? I think um, definitely in terms of, like, time management, they're the best. They're absolutely the best out there. Um, but in terms of, like, Testing, I um, my stance on the steroid issue is probably a little bit like different. Um, I don't I don't think that they should test, but I don't necessarily condone the use of steroids. You know, I I just I just don't believe in like telling people that they can't do them. You know, if they want to do them, I think that, that that's their prerogative. You know, I've never used them. Um, I don't really have an interest in using them, but um, I would rather see that money get allocated towards prize money. Yeah, I would I would rather see that. I think if guys want to use them, then you know. They have their they have their benefits, you know. I think they definitely do. They also have a lot of downsides. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would rather see that money go towards like giving giving money to the people that win the tournaments. Um, but at the same time, like definitely refereeing, I think they need to be. I think there's some uh, controversy lately with Lloyd Irvin. Yeah. Um, that was really interesting with the the JT Torres match versus Tanquino is the one I'm re- uh, referring to. Yeah. I think. I think there's definitely some unfairness going on there, um, mostly against American fighters. Yeah, which is unfortunate. So I, I think they should definitely correct that before they before they do anything else. They should they should make sure that the refereeing is fair because if it's not, then the entire tournament is useless. Mm. Okay. Well, I want to come right back to that real quick. But going to what you said about steroids, I completely agree. I think that if the fighters want to take steroids, it's their prerogative, and mm-hmm. I think that. And I, um, it was funny, I was actually having an argument with um, Aaron about this. Um, oh, yeah. On, what do you call it? And she was of the stance that, you know, steroids are wrong and they, should be, they shouldn't be allowed. Um, <laughs> I haven't talked to her about this yet. I should, though. <laughs> oh, no, she got fired up. It was funny. <laughs> but basically I said that, in my opinion, um, there's an unfair stigma attached to steroids based on, you know, maybe – I don't want to get into, like, conspiracy theory or anything, but I think that, you know, a lot of propaganda has been made about steroids. Oh, yeah. And I think that people kind of think that they're these, you know, really horrible things. And, you know, what I argue is what's the difference between someone taking steroids and someone taking, you know, um, supplements to help them recover from, you know, uh, from training or something. Now, I know some people say, well, steroids maybe have more drastic side effects. But, you know, there's no definitive research either way about that. And, of course, if you abuse steroids, you're going to get, what do you call it, bad bad things are going to happen. But yeah. that's, that's if anything. I mean, if I abuse any drug, if I abuse um, painkillers, it's the same thing. So that's my that's how I feel. Like, if guys want to take steroids, that's fine with me. I really don't care. Um, and also, I think... 
another thing is people think that if you take steroids, you become like the Hulk or something. And yeah. I mean, that's great and all, but I really don't see how that's applicable to jiu-jitsu. Like, I, yeah, definitely not. Like, I, I don't know what world champion is like, you know, like ripped out of their mind. Yeah. Like, no one's going into jiu-jitsu tournaments ripped out of their mind just muscling guys around the mat because jiu-jitsu doesn't really, like, enable that because that's not the point of it, you know? Like, I mean, strength definitely helps a lot, but that's not the point. Like, I think the reason why these guys take steroids is to recover from training and to be able to train really hard every yeah. day, you know? I definitely think that's what it is. Um, you know, and you can you can probably tell, like, there might be a couple people out there yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you can that you can see they're like, you know, <laughs> on something. <laughs> yeah, they're doing something really good, or they, you know, something something's working for them. But um, yeah, I, I definitely agree that like, it's I I, I really admire Kai, uh, Terra, You know, being a rooster weight, I, I really admire Terra and all he's done. But I disagree with his stance at the same time, and I think in a way he sort of like disproved it because he said, you know, that technique can beat steroids and he proved it you know because he hasn't taken a steroid in his life and he's he's a world champion you know and he's a five-time nogi world champion you know it's he in a way like i think he shows exactly what people should do if they disagree with steroids and you know then then go out and prove them wrong you know yeah no i agree be more technical and that's that's what i hope to do like i you know i don't I don't. I don't really get angry at anybody that does steroids. You know, it's just not something I do, just because of uh, just personal reasons. You know, but yeah, no, same here. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I compete a lot, just like you, and you know, like I get it. I get why guys do it. I mean, I've done. I've done the training sessions where you train twice a day, yeah. or you're doing strength and conditioning on top of it, and like you just so ragged after you know one by Wednesday you're so ragged and worn down I get why they do it you know but I just don't see it to me I just think there's a double standard I mean for example I see um a lot of golfers they do basic eye surgery to improve their vision oh okay you know what's the difference between golfers doing eye surgery to improve their vision and someone taking steroids to improve their recovery time yeah (laughs) I I don't I I don't understand that to me, I think it's a double standard. So, um, but anyways, so um, going back to what you mentioned about the the big controversy, I think this is like the big story of the of the week, um, and that was what Lloyd Irvin posted on a, his Facebook page, talking about. Um, you know, it was actually funny. He actually like I don't know if he wrote it like in big caps just to get yeah. everyone to look at it. But it was like IVJF ref corruption, and of course that's gonna like you see it like, well, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> what you what What do you think about what he posted? Did you read? Did you see it actually? I, I did read it actually. Um, I think he's definitely right. You know, I think there's something going on that's, you know, it's kind of like obvious. It's I want to say it's obvious at this point. Like, um, even if you like, I can I actually disagree with the things that they're pointing out in that match that happened. Like the the penalty, I think was probably it was probably okay. You know, he probably did deserve a penalty for for standing up and not engaging. Mm-hmm. But there were some other things I noticed in that match. Like it, they they didn't give him an advantage for what I thought was a was a near back take. Um, it was early. It was early on the in the match. I forget like what time it was, but. Um, a couple minutes in, it looked like he had a near takedown slash back attack, and they didn't give him an advantage point for it. 
And um, another thing, I, I saw blatant he uh, Tanquinho reaped his knee blatantly. It was it was the most obvious thing in the world. And even if I disagree with the reaping rule, I think that they should be judged equally. You know, like yeah. anyone else would have gotten disqualified for that, so he should uh, he should absolutely get disqualified for that. Yeah, no, I remember that part because he. I remember JT kind of looked at the ref like, dude, like, what's going on? Like, hey, what for you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, when I first read it, um, when I first saw the match, my first instinct was like, man, that was, that was bad. Like, he got robbed. And then I watched it again. And then, um, I watched it a couple times. And, uh, like you said, I don't disagree with the advantages that they gave Tanquino for, JT running, um, or avoiding it, I wouldn't say he was running, but like you said, I thought that they messed up in the beginning of the match, like in my opinion, Tiquinho was being very uncombative, like when JT was going for the takedown, he was going out of bounds, he was avoiding, like, in my opinion, there should have been, I don't know, um, warning for constantly running out of bounds, or at least two points, because I mean, um, yeah. he, there was like two or three times JT's on a takedown, and Tiquinho's always on the edge of the um, the ring, using it to his advantage, and going out of bounds to restart the match. So, I mean, in my opinion, the refs messed up more in the beginning than they do at the end. But what did, yeah. what did you think about the, the choke that he went for? Did you think that it deserved an advantage? Um, the first, like you were saying, like the first time I looked at it, I was like, oh, no, like that's not a choke. But <laughs> really, like the second time I looked at it, I was like, that's that was legitimate. You know, he was... He stopped moving for a while, and, you know, it looked like – I couldn't see the expression on his face, but it looked like maybe he was actually choking him. And his arm was pretty deep, you know, in the triangle, and he – his fist was, like, against his face, so it didn't really look like his fist was in too, too well. Yeah. But um, I, I think it could have been a possible advantage, so I'm not going to argue that too much. Yeah, I think I think that was possible. Well, uh, um, is it you think there's a – Ma, Mackenzie Dern, which is Tanquino's girlfriend. Yeah. She um she said that um JT was supposedly snoring. Like really? you know when you're getting choked and you start making that snoring noise. Yeah. She said that he was snoring and that his arm and Tanquino said that his arm went limp. So when yeah. I heard when I heard that, obviously they're gonna say say that because they're on the side of it's their you know of course it's in their interest to say that, but. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I would think they wouldn't lie about that. So, you know, that kind of made me confirm even more. Like, okay, I think the choke was probably pretty close. It deserved an advantage. But like like you said, I think that it was more with the refs messing up in the beginning than towards the end. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, regardless of if he did go out, you know, he did come back. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he did end up letting go of the choke, and uh, JT was able to recover from it. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know, like, the truth to that, but, yeah, I, I don't see why they would lie about that. Well, but, so what did you specifically think about Lord Irwin saying that the refs were corrupt? Or not all of them, but, you know, he, I think he said, like, a good old boy network, you know. What did you think about him saying that and saying how um, they have to break it up because it's delegitimizing the, the sport and preventing it from becoming more professional? I think I don't think he stepped out of line at all. Um, I think he was really professional. I mean, you know, his his <laughs> speech, his little essay that he wrote on his wall was, you know, pretty like eye catching. But I think he was pretty professional about it. At the same time, he didn't 
he didn't say that they run the tournaments horribly or, you know, he didn't say, like, he wanted to run out of, out of business and start a new tournament. He just he, he said exactly what he what was on his mind. You know, he thought his his guy got robbed, and I think a lot of people agree. And, you know, I, I definitely agree with what he was saying. I think there's a there's a network of people, you know, Tankino is a ref. He's a referee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's possible that they're that they're a little bit biased, whether they know it or not. You know, maybe they maybe they're just subconsciously giving him you know better treatment in this in this tournament. Um, I, I think there's definitely some bias when it comes to the referees, and they should prevent it by by getting more like American referees or more foreign referees, more European referees, anything. Yeah. To to make the fight more fair. Well, um, I think this is Hillary Williams, who's obviously probably the most well-known American ref, um, has said that, you know, people say that, but then she never can get people to actually do it, like take the classes and become refs, um, you know, uh, which I think is unfortunate. Um, Yeah. But, you know, I've always been of the opinion, and I know um, people who I talk to say that it's a great idea in practice, but it may be impractical in practice in terms of maybe the money aspect, but I think that they should have uh, third-party refereeing fights altogether, kind of like what the um, ADCC does. They don't have jiu-jitsu guys refereeing their matches. They have com- referees that are trained, and kind of like the NBA or the NFL or any other sport, these guys don't, you know, they're not part of any team. They're just referees. That's their job. And people say that's a good idea, but, you know, who's going to pay for that and stuff. But um, in my opinion, I'd rather see that than than do um, pointless drug testing, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I would rather see <clears throat> all of that happen before drug testing. Yeah, I, I think it would be probably tough money-wise, I guess, but um, I don't know. I mean, how much how much tougher could it be than the rest that they currently have? Yeah. You know, I mean, if they're paying – paying other guys, you know, I would hate to see that money go away from jiu-jitsu guys at the same time, but, you know, if they have to do that to make tournaments more fair, then then it's all in good, it's a good, there's a good reason for it, you know? Yeah, well, to me, I mean, it makes no sense that they have guys who compete refs, like, in my opinion, that has to be the single biggest conflict of interest I've ever seen in my life, like, absolutely, you can't have guys that are competing ref- referee, it's, and it's not to say that referees are corrupt, it just doesn't matter, it's the appearance, the impropriety, I mean, it doesn't look good to have, I mean, imagine if, I don't know, uh, LeBron James was refereeing a Lakers game, like, like <laughs> hey, that, 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 that just doesn't happen, you can't do that, I mean, First of all, we're all human, so we're all going to have biases. But to have people who are affiliated with the sport, like, I mean, even, like, when Tenkinio posted that photo of him with the head of the referees, um, Alvaro Mansur. Yeah. I understood. Shocking. What, yeah. yeah. I understood what he meant because um, that guy supposedly is, um, has trained Tenkinio and has been a teacher for him and helped him out a lot. But it still just doesn't look good. You know what I mean? When the guy who referees the fight, you're taking a picture of him, and he's, you're re- you're talking about how he's your master and how he's helped you so much, and he's the reason why you win these matches. It doesn't matter. You know, perception is re- reality, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I, I think that's a little messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, even though JT lost, 
and I wrote about this actually on BJJ Picks. Okay. I, I thought it was very um, a very pivotal moment in my in my opinion in jiu-jitsu because it seemed like this tournament was kind of like the first big introduction of Americans into the black belt competitions. I mean, we saw DJ Jackson win the Nogi World, you know, Lord Irvin's first black belt. We saw JT um, in the finals. And then, I mean, even at the lower level, I mean, Keenan Cornelius is knocking on the door, winning yeah. every tournament there is um, at Brown Belt. So it seems like, you know, people have talked about when we're going to see another American black belt. It seems like it's going to be coming pretty soon. Yeah, I, I really agree. I think, you know, we just had like a, a really significant American presence at that tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, what what do you think about maybe, um, and this is access question to a lot of people, but what do you think about, I'm not sure if you're familiar, like with Lord Irvin's approach to Jiu-Jitsu, you know, he has a very, I don't know, polarizing approach, you know. I don't know if you've ever seen like the video where he talks about 97 percenters and the three percenters. And, yeah, I've seen uh, parts of that stuff, and I also watched the uh, the Metal Chasers video. Yeah, that one, yeah. the one um, As neat as it is to like watch that video, you know, it kind of pumped me up. But <laughs> you know, at the, same time, <laughs> at the same time, like I I don't know if that kind of training would be right for me. Um, I don't know if that training would be right for certain people. Um, you know, everybody's different. And it's really intensive, you know. Those guys work their asses off, you know, and that's that's great. You know, I think it's great for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that that think the same way as Lloyd Irvin does. Yeah, it's totally great, and I think they work hard, and they're a smart team. But, uh, you know, I, I think his approach to training is very, like, sport-focused, you know. I don't I don't really know. I don't want to make too much of a comment on it because I, I've never trained with them. Yeah. But it's very, it's very intensive, and um, – you know, maybe some guys would respond better to a to a different way of training or to a to a way of training where they could make their own decisions as to how they're training. You know. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know, I think it's interesting because um, obviously we have you. We, uh, a lot of people have seen the metal chasers video and how intensive he approaches you to do. Um, you know, I think that, in my opinion, um, it's it's almost kind of like it seems like maybe. And I, I mean, this is just me gathering my own assumptions. I have no, um, I can't say with any certainty, but it seems like, you know, they kind of have a chip on their shoulder because there's so few Americans competing at uh, at these tournaments. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it kind of seems like they they approach it like, you know, we're gonna go in there and you know it's us against the world. You know what I mean? It seems yeah. like that's the mentality that they have because this sport is dominated by Brazilians. Yeah, I mean, if that motivates them, you know, I think that's great. And I can't say that, you know, there's there would be some kind of pride in being, you know, an American black belt world champion right now. You know, that's that would totally be like a, a great thing to say. You know, mm, uh, yeah, it might be a, it might be a motivation tool for them, and I I can kind of understand, you know, if it is. Yeah. Um. So for you personally, who are your favorite guys to watch in jiu-jitsu, American or Brazilian? Um, see, I mean, I always like, I always like watching the guys in my weight class. Um, so at Rooster Weight, like, I love watching Bruno Malpasini. Um, mm -hmm. that's funny. Bruno actually trains or teaches, um, where I live in Orlando. So. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. He's got the school in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like his, um, 
I like certain things about his style. Um, I also like certain things about like Kyotera's style, but I think Bruno's closer to like my body, my body type. Yeah. So um, yeah, I do like watching him, but um, in general, I like watching um, Bucic's match was really interesting to me. Um, I thought he moved he moved so well for a bigger guy. Which match? Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Bucic versus uh, Hadrick Gracie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and his match in um. His match against Adolfo Vieira. Yeah. In Worlds last year, I believe it was. Mm-hmm, yeah, Worlds was this past. Yeah. Um, that was a great match. You know, I, I think he moves really well, and I, I like his uh, I like his stuff, you know, for, for a heavier guy, because I don't usually watch them all that often. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like I like uh, Jeff Glover is another guy. I think he, his movement is really good. I just like the guys that move a lot, you know, because that's, that's kind of what I model my style after. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, you know, one thing that I, that I find interesting, and I think that this is going to become even more um, evident as, you know, Jiu-Jitsu continues to grow, but I think that we're going to see guys, especially Americans, getting better even faster. Like, I think that the time it takes to get good at Jiu-Jitsu is going to really shorten with the amount of, you know, because in America, you know, technology is so advanced. I feel like, you know, the information is right there, you know what I mean? Whereas maybe back in the day, you know, in order to learn stuff, you had to, you know, go to a tournament every couple of months and see what, what guys were doing and stuff. I yeah. think that, you know, in America, I think because there's so much information out there, I think that we're going to see the time shorten by double to, you know, in terms of getting better at Jiu-Jitsu or becoming a black belt, you know? Oh yeah, there's no secrets anymore. You know, it's not like the, the, everybody knows what the Barambolo is. You know, <laughs> yeah, to surprise anybody anymore. Um, everybody, just like Deep Halfguard went through that. Like everybody found out about it pretty quick, and you know, it, it kind of went like out of style, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I think I think that kind of stuff, like that information, gets passed around so much, and um, like the instructionals get passed around really easily. You know, everybody seems to have like all the all the new instructionals. You know, so yeah, I, I agree. I think they're gonna get get good really fast. You know, I think there's a lot of really good Americans coming up, um, even that aren't black belts right now. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned like deep half card and the barambolo and stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you think about you know like jujitsu and how it evolves or how it's evolving? It seems like positions are getting even more specialized and even more intricate. What do you think about this? In a way, like, I, I see two sides to it. You know, in a way, I really like it because um, you see, like, guys with really different styles clashing, you know. You see, like, the Mendez brothers, Barambolo, De La Hiva type styles. And then you see, like, um, guys like, uh, the Eli- you know, Bruno Malfacini and Marcelo Garcia have a really similar style, you know, yeah. based around X-Guard and Butterfly Guard and uh, a heavy top game and stuff like that, and I, I think that's really cool to see that. Um, I know there's like a lot of controversy over the Barambola. Yeah. Um, over whether it's like really applicable in anything other than IBJJF tournaments, mm-hmm. and I, I think it could be. You know, it's it's a it's a body movement. You know, it's like a it's <laughs> if your body can move that way, then you know, and if it works in tournaments, I don't see why it couldn't you know, work in a different setting one day, you know, may, I'm not saying it's going to work right away in MMA, but you never, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some really high-level jiu-jitsu guy pulled off in an MMA tournament, you know, in, a, in an MMA fight. Yeah, 
interesting. Well, that was an interesting way of looking at it. You said, you know, it is a body movement. So, um, yeah, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> I figure if your body can do it, you know, and if it uses some sort of leverage in some way, which I, which I think the Baron Bola does, you know, <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it works. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it is very interesting to see the styles clash. Like you said, like a lot of the Alliance guys, you know, Lucas Lepre, Malfacine, Marcel Garcia, yeah. you know, they play like, you know, kind of like that sit-up guard, kind of um, butterfly slash X-guard. Yeah. Really good passing. And then, like, you see the Atos guys, you know, they're very specialized at taking the back, leg drags, you know. Yeah, leg locks. Yeah, leg locks. Um, Bobby Ramos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. is actually, I, um, when I went to Nogi World, um, I went against one of the students, and uh, – I mean, it was just leg drag after leg drag after yeah. leg drag. And it was just funny, like, after the match, I kind of thought, I just thought it was funny. Like, it's so funny how people take the identity of their instructor or whoever they're learning from. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Actually, I have a similar experience. So my first match in Nogi Pan Ams was against a uh, Marcelo guy. Yeah. And it was all one leg X card. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is so like, this is so funny that you know it's like Marcelo's style that he's trying to use against me. You know, yeah. It, you know, it was difficult. It was difficult to deal with because I don't have a lot of guys that that play that against me. So um, yeah, it was. It, that's really cool to see that. You know, to get exposed to a different style like that. I think, and I think that that's why people like jujitsu or people who, you know, do jujitsu. They get become so hooked on it because it's so personal. You know, like. Yeah. yeah, everyone's jujitsu is their own. Like, it's not like when you play basketball and like, I mean, your basketball can or, you know, football, whatever. It, it can be somewhat personal. But at the end of the day, the goal is to you know score a touchdown or put the ball in the hoop. But you know, jujitsu is so personal, so specialized, and everything you do is your own. You know, so I think that's a big reason why people get hooked on it. Yeah, like nobody's gonna tell like Ryan Hall how to do inverted guard. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's his thing. You know, you don't really touch that. So, yeah, I can <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, um, Dean. Well, I definitely took a lot of your time. But um, if people want to read more about your writing or, you know, the stuff you're doing, where can they go? Yeah, you can just go to backpackbjj.com, uh, .blogspot.com, I'm sorry. Um, you can also go to the pulling guard team, Dine however you want to say it. <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> um, I'll be writing there. I'll be putting some uh, editorials up there. Um, I'm going to be writing on that very soon, so you can, can check it out. Okay, cool. Well, um, yeah, definitely look forward to that, and um, hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, great. Thank you. Have, thank you for having me.